Thanks, Pastor Arnie. I, I do love him. He, I say that he's my dad, but as he just gave you the definition, he's really my spiritual grandfather, which really, that and the fact... <laughs> That and the fact that he can't find the Uversion app on his phone just proves that he is very easy to love. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. So grateful to be here. So grateful for the opportunity to be with your men this weekend. I, I do pastor a church in San Diego, California, and we believe in men in our church. Our church is about 70% men. I told the men that it's about, not only is it about 70% men, but it's men between the ages of 20 and 35, which is television's target demographic. And uh, of that 70% men, about 70% of those men are United States Marines. And so if anything were to go down in our church, I'm pretty safe. And so, so if anything goes down in here, I need some men to be a proxy and to stand in and like take the Marine Corps oath and uh, we'll defend the freedom today. So Proverbs chapter 22, I want you to put your thumb in there and then I want you to flip over to Colossians chapter 3. So Proverbs chapter 22 and then Colossians chapter 3. At the men's uh, conference this weekend, I kind of by accident brought a little mini series that just asked this question, who are you? Who are you? And I preached on two, in my opinion, important elements of being a godly man and really a godly person. The first one that I talked about was integrity. And that if you don't build your house upon integrity, then you're building it in vain. And then I talked about identity. Who are you? Who are you in Christ? And so today, I want to I continue in your series. You've been in a series called Aware. And so I want to continue on in that series because by definition aware means having knowledge or being vigilant or being watchful and I don't know if you've watched news in the last few years but it's it's important for us to be vigilant it's important for us as believers uh, to be watchful and to be mindful because today I'm going to talk about family how do you how do you raise a godly family in an ungodly culture I, I live in an ungodly culture. Now, I know you live in an ungodly culture as well, but I live in an incredibly ungodly culture where it is, it is unapologetically ungodly. They, they, do, they do not favor God in my culture. Uh, it's very common for you to see and hear and experience incredibly ungodly, uh, unchristian type things in Southern California. I just took my kids to Disneyland the other day and had the enjoyable experience of explaining to them why two men were walking through Disneyland holding hands and skipping like Tinkerbell while one wore a wrestling singlet, booty shorts, and a princess crown. Ungodly culture. How do you raise a godly family in an ungodly culture? How do you raise a godly family in an immoral culture. We live in an immoral culture, a culture that does not embrace morality. We, we don't live in the 1950s anymore, y'all. I don't know if you know that. I don't know many of you don't remember. Some of us don't even remember when we lived in a moral culture, but yet still morality seems to be spiraling downward. And how do you raise a godly or a moral family in an immoral culture? How do you raise a godly family when it seems like all of the odds are against you when it seems like it's impossible 
So you think about family, what's happened to the family in our culture? What's happened to the family in America? In fact, over the last 50 years, there's been a shocking breakdown of the American family. And the, the statistics are staggering. They, they're pretty grim. Since 1960, the divorce rate in America has doubled. Single-parent households have tripled. Couples living out of wedlock and domestic violence have both quadrupled. In America, we have the highest teenage pregnancy rate of any developed country in the history of the world. And so when you see teenagers that, that stand up across the front and they say, I pledge, I won't uh, drink alcohol, and I won't uh, chew or smoke or be with girls who do, I won't uh, have sex, that's, that's monumental. It's worth more than the Tiger Woods just sunk a 14-foot putt. And you go, oh my gosh, we have teenagers. And Pastor Lori is encouraging kids and teenagers to make a commitment to live a moral life in an immoral world. I mean, just look at the progression of what's happened to the television family. You can see it on the airway. The, the airwaves reflect what's happening in our culture. Many times they prophesy what's going to happen in our culture. And in the 1950s and the 1960s, you had shows like Father Knows Best and Andy Griffith and Leave It to Beaver. And boy, I'd watch the reruns of Leave It to Beaver. I'd go, oh God, that's what I want. I want that. I want a white house and black shutters. And, and when I walk in, somebody says, well, good afternoon, Beave. It's so good to see you. So glad that you're here. I wanted my dad to wear slacks and a dress shirt and, a, and maybe a cardigan. He's a, oh, look, it's my father. And he has his hair combed. And for my mother to walk in with hot carrot cake and a bottle of ice cold glistening milk and say, oh, we've been waiting all day for you. We just, oh, it's the highlight of our day. I mean, that was the family in the 1950s and in the 1960s. I mean, Theodore had a brother who never beat him up and never called him names. And, and when he'd do something wrong, he'd just put his arm around him and go, oh, shucks. He had a, a nifty little uh, nickname for him. Oh, it's okay, Beeve. We'll make it through this together. You know, that's, that was the television family in the 1950s and the 1960s. And then in the 1970s, we had, we had the Brady Bunch, and that was the first blended family that we saw on TV and they kind of slipped it in on us. And then we had All in the Family and, and the Jeffersons and, I mean, shows that really dealt with issues that we didn't really know were as monumental as they were. They, they dealt with issues like racism and poverty and angst and and that was the family of the 1970s. Then in the 1980s, we had shows like Dallas and and Dynasty, and, and, and it seemed like every family in the 1980s, it was some soap opera saga, and somebody was divorcing somebody, and sleeping with somebody else's wife, and somebody was getting shot, and oh God, JR was shot. <laughs> the season ended. <gasps> How am I going to ever make it till September? Did he die? You know, 1980s, that was the family of the 1980s. Then in the 1990s, we had shows like Married with Children, and and The Simpsons, where it, it seemed like disrespect was celebrated and it was, was honored. It was almost cool for a kid to disrespect their parents. That was the family on television in the 1990s. And then in the 2000s and 2010s, and, and had now we've, we, we saw shows like Desperate Housewives and, and Jersey Shore and, and Keeping Up with the Kardashians, where we, we celebrated this absolute weirdness in people 
And we watch shows like that, and we, we just go, well, my family's not like that, and maybe, maybe my family, that's the family that we see on television now, shows like Modern Family, where we, we see uh, the new norm. I don't know if you've seen some of these shows that are on there, where television, it's, it's like television's goal to, to make us succumb to what they think, that they want us to succumb to their culture when the church was never meant to succumb to culture. The church was always meant to establish culture from the beginning of time. And so, so how do you raise a godly family in an ungodly culture? How do we fix this thing right now? Are we too far gone? How do we, how do we right the ship? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We're so appreciative of who you are, gracious and grateful for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for the men that came here and committed themselves to live with integrity, to change their identity, God. And I pray today that as we go forward, you change us. You know, God, we came here, we loved the little song and the B-I-B-L-E, even though most of us couldn't sing all the words. God, we loved the B-I-B-L-E song, love to see the little kids up here. They brushed their hair. And God, we loved the fact that teenagers came up here and said that they're going to live a life of purity and love the baby dedications and the children dedications. We love all that stuff, God. Love to come here, spend time with people. But God, that's not why I came here. God, I didn't, I didn't even come here to crack a Bible and say a few words. What I came here for today, God, is so that you would change me. I came here today, God, so that you would adjust my life. I came here today so that when I left here, I would be a different person that came in here, and that person would be more like you, closer to you. In Jesus' name, I pray your word would become life, and you'd do that for my friends. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about family pictures this weekend when Pastor Arnie said, I want you to talk about family. And so I think every family has had that encounter, that experience when you've had family pictures taken. Like for us, we did it once. We went to Sears and uh, they had the big backdrop. You know, it was the blue kind of tie-dyed backdrop and the parents sit down and you want to really look a certain way. Have you ever done family pictures? And you have somebody, okay, right over here. And when you get there, do you want to look right? The kids come in and the hair is combed. It hasn't been combed in 14 years, but you had to run the brill thing through it. And the kids come in. and it's parted down the middle and they got the little sweater that doesn't really fit it's a little bit wrinkled and okay bobby you stand here and johnny you stand here Joni, you better be over there because we can't put these two together jim take care of her would you shut up and stand here we're gonna get a family picture taken have you ever seen this and you get the and oh my gosh you get the picture on the wall and everybody and people come in the house oh god what a beautiful picture What a beautiful family. Oh, you should have seen what it took to get that. (laughs) Three hours that thing took right there. She wouldn't, no, there's stuff on the face and they wouldn't smile and Jim wouldn't cooperate and the cell phone was going off and really is it this important? We're paying $19.95 for cotton picking, crying out loud, to have these pictures taken. Now listen, now we don't have to buy the proofs, do we? Can you just take the picture and give it, you know, we have the special family deal. We'll take the picture and there's no commitment required. We'll just give you the, that's what we want. We want that one that doesn't require for me to spend $900 and, you know, refinance my house to be able to pay for these pictures. And you get the thing, and there's the one, the picture. People come in, and you have the special light that points on it. Maybe you went to Walmart, and you put the battery-operated, the clicker light, because you couldn't really afford to rewire your house, but it's got the and the family, right? Oh, what a beautiful family. Yeah. Boy, you should see us when the you know, doors are closed. We all want to have that picture, right? 
we want people, when they look at our family, we want them to picture us that way. We want them to think of us in that way. We want for them to go, oh, yeah, well, you had such beautiful kids. And, boy, you, you and your wife, you're, you're really something to aspire to. And you're thinking in your mind, if you only knew what went on. If you only knew that the picture that you see on the wall is absolutely not a reality. And, and listen, God didn't want us to have a family that only looked good in pictures. God wants us to have a family that loves each other and cares for each other with a strong, encouraging marriage where mom and dad really do love each other and where the kids, you know, they're going to fight and all that stuff, but they really do honor their parents. And so today, for just a few minutes, I want to talk about the reality of that family because we all have these expectations when we get married we have these expectations we get married and we think we're going to have the nice house and and two nice cars and we're going to have good looking kids our kids aren't going to be ugly in jesus name you're pretty good looking i'm average so if we take you know the two of those things together you know the ratios kind of add up our kids probably won't be ugly they probably you know so you don't you want good looking kids who get good grades you want a dog who's house trained and doesn't run off the minute that you let him out of the house and you maybe you want the white picket fence and and we have all of these things that we want thoughts in our mind of what we want the problem is conflict arises in our life when those expectations don't get met pretty soon you wake up one day and her breath stinks and his hair's gone and the kids are yelling and screaming and you smell fire from somewhere in the house and you don't even want to get out of bed because you don't know what it is. It may be toast. It might be the dog. You don't know what's going on out there. And you look at him, you say, you get out of bed, it's your turn. And you pull the covers over your head and you go, oh my gosh, life has happened. And it's just family and families aren't perfect. It's a whole group of people that live in a house together. And you're going to take all of her values and all of his values, and you're going to put them together, and then you're going to have these aliens come into your house called children, and then they're going to do all the stuff that you think, everything you say not to do, they're going to do it. So pretty soon you go, hey, listen, I want you to go out, and I want you to do all the stupid stuff so that they'll defy you and become good kids. And so you want all this stuff, but, but life fights against that. You ever feel like that? You feel like life is just fighting against all of your best efforts. So we come into life and we have all these expectations, expectations of our marriage. We feel like uh, they're going to get better looking as time goes on and they're going to get kinder as time goes on. We're always leveraging today on tomorrow. That's what debt's all about. And so one day you wake up and you don't have any money and that's all you fight about and you haven't been intimate in 14 days years and you go oh my gosh oh what happened to us life happened to you it's called a mac truck called life that ran you over because because you had some unrealistic expectations i think some of us in here the reason that our families and the reason that our marriages aren't what we want them to be is because we have skewed and unrealistic expectations i think you know kids they look at their dad and they want their dad to be good looking and they want their dad to be cool. Nobody wants to have the nerd dad. Nobody wants their dad to show up to school. Hi, buddy, we're here. You know, nobody wants that guy. They want to tell their friends, my dad can throw a football 142 yards in the air. You know, my dad taught Aaron Rodgers how to throw a football for crying out loud. Actually, after every game, Aaron calls the house. He says, hey, is Jim there? 
What'd you think, Jim? And my dad says, well, you know, you, you, know, you dropped your elbow a little bit. And, oh, oh, thanks, Jim. Hang up, you know. This, nobody wants the nerd dad. They want the cool dad. They, they want their dad to be strong. No kid wants the, you know, the dad off the comic book that got the dirt kicked in his face. Nobody wants that guy. I mean, you know that. It's evidence because the age-old question or the age-old comment on every playground in America, maybe everywhere, Maybe in Africa, you have kids talking click, saying the same comments to them. You know, my dad can beat up your dad. That's the line of every kid, you know. And the kid, you don't know that. You've never seen your dad in a fight. Your dad got in a fight in second grade. He lost, and he hung it up from there. He's been retired. <laughs> but every kid, my dad can beat up your dad. Well, my dad's 6'6", 320 pounds, and he bench presses 500 pounds. What's your dad? Well, you know, he's like 5'7". It's got a little spot right here. The belly's out. And, uh, your dad cannot take my dad. Nobody wants the dad who's going to get bullied at the beach. Everybody wants their dad to have a good job. Everybody wants their dad to have lots of money. Everybody wants their mom to be beautiful and nurturing and kind and loving and a good cook and a taxi driver, and a soccer mom, and all the other stuff. And, and we all want our kids to get good grades and to be a good athlete. You know, we forget that they come from the same gene pool that we come from. We think our kid's going to be the starting quarterback on the varsity football team, and we forgot that we got cut from gym class in the third grade. They just looked at you and said, oh, you don't even need to bring your clothes, Bob. I mean, hey. We know what's going on. Why don't you just go to the cafeteria and have another lunch? And so you think, I couldn't throw a ball, but I think my kid should throw a ball. You know, you were a stellar student. You got solid Ds. You graduated when you were 22. And they, you know, you think that your kids are going to be on the honor roll. And so we put these unrealistic expectations. And, and sometimes we have higher expectations than God. Well, God clearly gives his expectations for the family in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. They're real simple. Here's the expectations. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So God gives the plan for all of us. He gives, he gives wives, here's your plan. Husbands, here's your plan. Children, here's your plan. Dads, fathers really means parents in the original Greek there, but parents, Here's your role. But ultimately, God only has one expectation for the family. If you don't take anything else today, I want you to get this. Here's God's one. Let's boil it all down. Get rid of all the minutia. Here's, here's what God really wants for the family. God wants the family to glorify him by fulfilling the unique role and responsibility that he's given to each member of the family. That's all he wants. God wants you to be you. He wants her to be her, him to be him, them to be them. God doesn't expect kids to be parents. He doesn't expect parents to be kids. Now, some parents, that, that's a word for you right there. Some of you, your kids don't respect you because you're not respectable. You're their parent. You're not their friend. Now, you can be their friend and be their parent. 
but you can't be their friend without being their parent. Do you understand? See where that, that happens there? I wish my kids would lock their bedroom door. I will kick that. That is my door. <laughs> Boom! They'll think SWAT invaded the house and found marijuana in the backyard. You will not in your life lock your door. You will not walk in your door. Boom! I hate you. I wish you would say that. Boom! What? You hate who? Get out of here. We're going to have a little talk. Sit down. Sit down. You are nine. You can't even spell hate. Let me get the TV. Let me get the Xbox. Oh, you still hate me now? You're really going to hate me now. Let me get the Internet. Whoop! Let me get the phone. Well, they don't have phones in the rooms anymore, but let me get the iPhone or the whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? And we try to, we try to court our kids. Not courting your kids. You're raising your kids. God gave you those children as a gift and as a responsibility. And as long as they live up to their role... You live up to your role. Do you feel what I'm saying? You're their parent. Ladies, you are their mama. You are not their doormat. You feel me? And so they have to play their role, and you have to play your role. Your role is to be the parent. Now, consequently, they can't be the parent. You can't be in there playing video games until 10 o'clock at night and being all weird and goofy. And you can't send mixed signals to them. You know what I'm saying? Now, can you play video games? I play video games with my son, and I don't let him win. We play Madden. I'll beat him as hard as I can, too. Just <laughs> boom, boom. You pick the Packers. Go ahead. I'll pick whoever, and I will still beat you by 50. It'll be like Oregon playing against anybody. Gave rolls. I know, that was a bad comment because of the rose bowl. It like got half out of my mouth. And, ah, Let's delete that from your mind. Anyway, God, God only has one expectation, that we would fulfill the unique role. There were some things that you were meant to do that I wasn't meant to do. There are some things that I was meant to do you're meant to do. There's some things that men were meant to do that women weren't supposed to do, things that women were meant to do. Men were never designed to carry babies in their womb. Never. Because God knew. God knew we'd never do it. God knew we could never, never, not never carry a baby in our stomach for nine minutes, never mind nine months. Because when I catch a cold, all hell breaks loose in the world. I put it on Facebook. I tweet it out. I put it on LinkedIn. Oh, God, feeling under the weather today. It's what happened. Oh, oh, man. I want the kids to be quiet. I want my wife to wait on me. I want the house to just, can we just please be quiet? I, just, I got a cold. Oh, just please. Oh. Women will be pregnant for eight and a half months, and nobody will know about it. All of a sudden, I have a little thing come out. I do. Yeah, 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 I'm pregnant. What do you do? Well, tomorrow. What? <laughs> I didn't know you were pregnant. Well, you know, it's not a big deal. It's your fifth one, you know, what do you do? <laughs> Probably going to have it at home just if, you know, in case you can't get to the hospital in time. Men, oh, the world would stop. For women, it's just, you know, part of the deal. It's, maybe they're just tougher in that regard, you know? You don't want me to carry babies. God wasn't designed to do that. I don't actually like to even carry them after they're born. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Look, give them to me when they're two and they walk and they can tell me what they want because I don't know the cry. <laughs> ah! 
he's hungry. Mm, he's just crabby. That's all that is. You got the hunger cry. You got the, te- you know, moms know the language. Dads weren't designed to know the language, right? Kids, there's certain things kids weren't meant to do. You don't want kids balancing your checkbook. Kids have a different economy than we have, right? My son's economy is Legos. So he, for two years, wanted the Lego Death Star, and it was $400. And so we'd see something, we'd see a car. He'd say, oh, that car's fat. Daddy'd say, oh, yeah, that's an expensive car. That's a Bentley Continental GT with 24s on it. He'd say, oh, man, expensive. Hmm. How many Death Stars would that be? That was like, like, like he was bartering chickens and goats. Like, to him, economy is Legos. And so you don't want my nine-year-old son to balance your check because there's some things that kids were not meant to do. And, but when we realize and when we fulfill our role, God is glorified. When you fulfill the role for your life, when you fulfill your role as a parent, when you fulfill your role as a husband, husband, there are some things when you married that woman, you promised that you would do. And doesn't matter, come hell or high water, doesn't matter if she doesn't look like she used to look like, doesn't matter if she acts like she used to act like. There are some things in your life that God has called you to do as a husband. There are some things that God has called you to do, ladies, as a wife. Says it right there in the Word. I'm not going to tell you. You just read it. Tells you some things that you're supposed to do. Listen, there's far time that some women stop saying, oh, I got three kids. Oh, four. Him. What? Doesn't even make sense. That's just rude and disrespectful. You wouldn't want him to be rude and disrespectful to your friends. So why would we think it's okay for us to jokingly, lightly just disrespect each other in front of each other? It's, there's roles that we have to play, roles that kids have to play. And so when we, when we fill that role that God's called us to fill, then God is going to be glorified, and we're going to go a long way towards fulfilling the role. My, my son came home the other day. Now, my role as a father is to be a protector of my kids. My son came home the other day. Now, my son loved football. He's a huge football guy, he plays football played in Texas, now he plays in Southern California. He's a beast. If I had more time, I'd brag more. But he's a beast. He was defensive player of the year in Texas and plays defensive end. His last game this year, he had 10 tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. But other than that, he didn't play that well. And so, <laughs> so he goes to school, and he plays football at school, right? But he plays football at school like he's like playing football. His hero in life is Clay Matthews. And so he wants to be Clay Matthews. And they introduced him at his first game. He came out, he did the... He got a penalty for doing the clay wings in a game. He hit a quarterback so hard, I thought the quarterback was dead. I mean, he hit the quarterback, and the quarterback went like this. He didn't even bend his legs. And then he stood over him and went... (laughs) 15 yards, and I was like, yes! (laughs) Give it to him again! (laughs) We'll take 30. Oh, yeah. Arnie said, tell him how old he is. He's nine, by the way. He's nine. He's nine. So he, he started the kids in California playing football at the school, right? And he comes home one day and he said, uh, Dad, I got in a fight. What? He's never been in a fight. He's the kindest, lovingest, most gentle kid until the helmet goes off. I said, uh, I said why'd you get in a fight? He said, uh, this kid called me fat. Oh, oh, really? Who, who said, who's, how old is he? The dad, right? What's his name? Jesus, oh. Jesus meeting Jesus tomorrow. That's what's happening. I'm coming to school tomorrow. 
with bells on 8 o'clock. You tell Jesus, Papa's coming. Tell him bring his dad. Papa's coming. Go to school. Here is the whole story. He called him fat because my, my son hit him so hard playing football. Knocked his shoe off. Just They were playing two-hand touch, by the way. My son, that's how my son touches. And, and so, so I went to the school. I didn't confront Jesus. He's 10, right? So I went to the office. I said, hey, let me tell you something that went on in the playground. I want you to keep your eye on it. My son, he was so proud. Dad came to the school. There are some roles that we are to play in the lives of our family. And when we fulfill those roles, not only will God be glorified, our wives will be glorified, our husbands will be glorified, our kids will be glorified. So I want to look at uh, two roles and leave you with these two things. I want to look at, at two roles today that are very clear. Number one is the role of the parent. That comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 through 6. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor, rather than silver and gold. Now, pause. A good name, a good reputation. There's great weight in having a good name. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, on the flip side, there is great detriment to having a bad name. I had a brother in school. My brother was a jerk. He never got lower than an A, ever. From all the way through grad school, he's a doctor now. He's an absolute overachiever. It's the first time he ever played golf, he shot two over par. Hello. He's not even human. I don't even think he's part of our family. I'm pretty sure he's adopted. And so we go to school, and people would come in. they go, oh, you're, 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 you're Hennessy. Yeah, oh. And then I would like, you know, I love what Arnie says. I mean, I always dropped on my head when I was a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm dumber than a box of rocks. I'm a football player, right? I am the epitome of a dumb jock. Like, if I get to see him, I'm like, wow, woo, I'm eligible Friday night, yes. You know? <laughs> Let's have a party. Oh, you're a Hennessy. Oh, they automatically expect me to get straight A's. That's a hard name to live up to, but a good name. Whoa, there's great weight in that. What are you doing to build a good name? What are you doing to build a good name at your job? What are you doing to build a good name in your neighborhood? Are you aware of your surroundings enough to say, when I do this, it's cause and effect. When I get to work early, it causes me to have a good name. When I work as hard as I can the whole time I'm there, it causes me to have a good name. When my kids come and they ask me to help me with their homework, I turn the clicker off and I help them with their homework. That causes me to have a good name with them. When my kid asks me to go play catch with him. I go out and I play catch with him because I know if I do this, then I'll get this. If I do these things, then I'll get a good name. A good name is far greater than any money that the world can give. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all, meaning that rich people and poor people have the ability to build a good name and a good reputation. Three, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished for by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Now here it is. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, 
he will not depart from you. You've got to start training them early. You've got to start teaching them early. They've got to see habits in your life early. Your kids have to know that you are a person who prays. Your kids have to know that you are a person who at least knows where your Bible is. They have to not be able to draw pictures in the top, in the dust that has accumulated from the time you picked it up before. Your kids have got to understand the way because there is only one way, and that way is God's way. Train up a child in the way that he should go. There are certain issues in our culture that are not issues. They might be issues to everyone else, but they are not issues in my house. There are not debates about certain issues. They can be political to the rest of the world, but they're practical in my house. Why? Because there are certain things that God's word says that are not negotiable in our house. Why? Because we live the way that we should go, and we don't go the way of the culture. Culture needs to go the way of us. The other day, my son came out to me, and I have a habit. I sit out on our deck, because in San Diego, it's 78 degrees all the time. I'm sitting out in the carport, and uh, I have a little, uh, one of those little propane uh, fire things, fire pits. And I go out, and I have a cup of coffee, and I turn the fire pit on, because it's a chilly 77. And so I turn it off. <laughs> I have my sweatsuit and my house shoes on, and I have my Bible and my cup of coffee. And I, I, that's the first thing I do in the morning, read my Bible. And, and so the other day, my son, he came out and he said, uh, Dad, I knew you'd be out here. I said, why? He said, I woke up and it was in the sixes and I knew where you would be. That was like you might have well uh, given me the Congressional Medal of Honor. Because if my son knows when he wakes up that his dad is right here, train up a child in the way that he should go. And in the end, now, it doesn't say he won't deviate. doesn't say they won't act crazy or act a fool or go out and do stupid stuff or you won't get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. That stuff could happen. But this, the word of God never, ever, ever returns void. You put it in them, at some point it's going to come out. And it might come out in the middle of trauma. It might come out in the middle of a divorce. It might come out, whatever is going on in their life, whatever it is you put in early, it's going to rise to the surface. What's your job as a parent? Train your children. Teach your children. Direct your children. Number two, lastly, the role of a child. Here it is. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It's from the Big Ten. God gave 10 rules, and he found it worthy to put this one in here. Honor your father and your mother. And guess what? There isn't an escape clause in there. You you have, now, there's some children in here who are old. I'm an old child. This resonates with me. Honor your father and your mother, pause, asterisk, the little thing that puts up because you forgot to write something in there, whether they're honorable or not. 
Doesn't matter if your parents are honorable. God said honor them. God said love them. God said celebrate them. And some of you are estranged from your parents. And you're blaming your parents for everything that happened in your life. I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic. I'm this because my mother was this. My mother didn't hug me enough. My father spent too much time at work. Honor your father and mother whether they're honorable or not. And then something happens that doesn't happen in any of the rest of the commandments. This is the only commandment that a promise is attached. You honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon this land. Honor your folks. Honor your parents. The family is under attack. The family and our culture is under attack. There's a massive effort in our culture, to redefine the family. God's plan for the family does not need to be redefined. God's plan for the family has been clearly defined in his word. And his word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. We don't, we don't have to have anything redefined in our culture because God's plan for the family has never, ever changed. It's always been always is and always will be what you find in the scriptures. So as our culture tries to redefine the family unit, how do we solve that? How do we ward off the attack? Know your role. Play your position. And be aware. 